welcome to the panel, RNZ National. May Chen and Alan McRoy with me this afternoon. First up, New Zealanders will be able to shop around for better deals from banks. It's called open banking. It was announced today, and it means that banks will be required to share a customer's data with a competing bank if the customer requests it. You could also instruct your bank to share specific data with a financial advisor of your choice. Now, the hope of open banking is that it will lead to more competition and lower fees and is thought to have quite an impact on a bank's bottom line. New Zealanders won't notice the changes for a couple of years, though. And meanwhile, banks boasted around $10 billion in pre-tax profits. Uh, That issue has been in the news, of course. With us to discuss is Dr. Claire Matthews, research author and Massey Business School Associate Professor. Dr. Matthews, welcome. Good afternoon, Wallace. Good afternoon. Um, So it sounds fairly radical, banks sharing customer data, but this is common in the UK and in Australia where the big four banks are based. Well, to be perfectly frank, it's actually not that uncommon in New Zealand. It's really just the way in which it's done. If you go to a different bank and say that you want them to transfer your accounts from, you know, if you go to Bank A and say you want your accounts from Bank B moved, they can already do all that for you. And so they're going to access a lot of your information. All the open banking is really going to do is to um, make it uh, in an online digital um, arrangement Mm. as opposed to the current more manual arrangement. So, is, in that, is it going to be easier for New Zealanders to say, you know, compare mortgages, apply for loans, that type of thing? So you say well, there was a, there's a form of it, but it's uh, on, in the digital realm now. Yeah, I guess it may be a little bit easier. To be honest, I'm not convinced that that form of open banking is going to make that much difference in New Zealand. Maybe it has in Australia and the UK because they didn't have the same openness that we do have here. And I know there will be those that argue that we don't have that much openness now. But the reality is it is relatively easy to compare. Um, It's relatively easy to access your information and to pass it on to another bank. So I'm not sure that I'm persuaded that open banking is being discussed is going to make that much difference. Right. Well, we've got May here, and actually, May, it so happens that you went overseas to to, to, to research open banking. I, I did, and and can I acknowledge Dr. Claire Matthews? You gave a fantastic interview the other day about bank profits. Congratulations. Um, so, Thank look, I, I need to make a declaration. I've just retired from seven years sitting on the Bank of New Zealand board, and it was in April of this year, so it was over six months ago, but we did. Before we got locked down for COVID, no, I didn't go to Disneyland. I didn't go to Fiji. I, I went to Finland and Amsterdam to study open banking. It was a it was a Bank of New Zealand board study tour, and um, and it was the first day of open banking under the UN directive. Uh, the sorry the e- the EU directive, clear. And it was just so interesting talking to them about how it was and um, how they were finding implementing it and the issues that they'd had. And it isn't at all straightforward, is it, clear? No, it's absolutely not straightforward. And one of the other things around open banking is that it can be actually a way of customers sharing their data so that it's not so much about being able to shop around uh, directly, but it's about being able to go to different organisations for different parts of their banking products. So you go and have your home loan with one bank, go and get your um, transactional services from somewhere else, your credit card somewhere else, and maybe your KiwiSaver. But uh, one of the versions of open banking allows you to gather all that information in one place 
so that you can go online once and see it all, despite the fact that it's all at different banks. And that's another version of an open banking, which actually I would see as having more use for customers. Well, that's true. And there is another greater use, and that is for buy now, pay later lenders. As you know, they are being subject to greater regulation. And one of the issues there is that they just need to do more affordability checks to make sure that people who actually take out the loans. And this will help. Well, this will help heaps okay. because it's open banking, so they don't have to collect it themselves. Ah. So that's going to be a huge benefit. So that's one I've spent. Really? Yeah. Right. Um, stay there, uh, uh, Dr. Matthews. Alan, do you have any questions uh, around open banking? Uh, I'm, I'm already with two banks at the same time, uh, but that's mainly because uh, the forms to fill out, it just got too annoying. Uh, so I just left one bank dealing with some things, another bank dealing with other things. But uh, I don't know if you mentioned this, would this eventually help bring, like, say, interest rates down or the mortgage rates down? Well, that's the theory. The theory is that uh, with open banking, with the banks being forced to compete um, more in a more challenging way, that it would bring down interest rates and it would bring down costs. Whether that will actually eventuate, I, mm. I, yes. we have to wait and see. No, that's right, because it's actually quite complicated to do. And, of course, if you are going to essentially become a supplier, a provider in this case, yeah. you do actually have to do all of the regulatory compliance. And I, I, I know that we, we look at the huge profits they make, but, you know, the banks have to do a huge amount of regulatory compliance. So ultimately what you will find is that a lot of these startups just offer themselves to the banks in the end and say, well, could you just buy us? <laughs> and uh, Because actually it's quite hard to do. It's, it, from the bank's perspective, it's quite difficult simply because you're opening things up. And even though it may be a competitor who's got the data, yeah. if there's a privacy breach, people will still look back at the bank and think it's the bank's fault, even though it's not the bank's fault. And certainly when I was, was there, and that was three years ago now, because I guess that's when we got locked down, was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I got up again. Um, uh, what, what, we, what we discovered uh, is that, you know, it just it takes quite some time, and the banks found it almost impossible to make money from. But what it told you was that the future really in value in banking is in the data. Yeah, well, that's that's very interesting. But, you know, Sam Stubbs, he's come out saying he's he said he's done some sort of uh, um, ball card numbers. He reckons, May and Claire, this will save Kiwis around $2 million a day. Wow, that, that's amazing. And, and, but yep. but, but I, I confidently predict that it won't take two years to implement this. I confidently predict it might take okay. a wee bit longer than that. All right, so think, is that Claire? clear? Yeah, I, I agree it's going to take longer. And I'd love to know how Sam's calculated those numbers because I think those are optimistic. Um, and yeah, two million a day, that, that's an awful lot of money. And I'm just not persuaded that that's going to happen. Are you supportive of it? Because the Bankers Association did research in this showing that two thirds of Kiwis think that sharing bank information with third parties is a bad idea or they don't understand it. And you, can, and you can imagine, Dr. Matthews, how people might think of that. You know, people like, you know, myself or Alan going, oh, sharing my data? Yeah. You know, so then will there need to be some sort of alongside campaign? Well, well it's, it's important to note that the sharing of data is only done with the customer's permission. So it's about setting up the system so it can be shared, but they can't share it without the customer's permission. So the customers still have control over their data. 
It was interesting um, because when, when Open Banking was brought in in the EU, they also brought in heightened standards for privacy of information. But of course, our they? legislation is, work, is, is walking in that direction as well. I think, I think Claire, though, it is an, it's not a unique problem to New Zealand, but we really do have financial literacy problems. Uh, and, you know, when I, I sat on the Securities Commission, I was, I was on the Public Education Committee. It, it, financial literacy is always an issue um, in New Zealand. People just really not understanding how all of the, this works. Well, you're a financial literacy expert, Claire. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, to, to an extent, that's partly why we have the um, questions raised about bank profits. Um, but it's also not just financial literacy. It's also digital literacy, understanding how computers work and understanding some of the technology. Um, we don't have, uh, as a general rule, that p- the public don't have a lot of understanding of that. They do things, but they don't actually understand how it works. And so that makes them a little bit nervous. But definitely agree, uh, financial literacy is not where it should be in New Zealand. Right. Thank you very much. Uh, that's Dr. Claire Matthews there, research author and Massey Business School Associate Professor. So it, it kind of makes, just on this before you, I mean, you've studied this. If the EU does it, if the UK does it, if Australia does it, mm. it makes sense, would it not, that we get on board with open banking? So at the time we were in Europe, uh, we found out that the, the Honourable Chris Farfoy was also in Europe and he was studying open banking. So, look, I think it's inevitable that it, that it happens and, uh, and, and really uh, the banks are just going to have to get their heads around this because if, if, if ultimately it's in the public interest and it's better for customers, they should do it. It's just that it's not altogether easy because we also need to ensure privacy of people's yes. data and no leaks. And as you know, that, that that is not as easy as it used to be. I mean, a cyber crime, before I left the bank, the amount we were spending on preventing cyber attacks, I mean, it was, you know, how much money could you throw at this? Well, it was never enough. It was like wow. the health system. Yeah. You treated well by your bank, Alan? Yeah. Do you feel? <clears throat> nah, well, not with the mortgage rate going up that high. You know, the letter coming in every couple of weeks going on, it's jumped up again. Do you feel comfortable with per, per, personal? Do you feel comfortable with how your mortgage is, is sitting going into the next year? Because uh, you're feeling no, behind, I'm right? slightly anxious yeah. about it. Mm. You know, it's uh, you know, it's just it's getting a bit pricey. So uh, yeah, so there's a bit of a panic there going. Oh, we need to look for more work and do this and do that and less holidays. Do you know that I've had a conversation with every single member of staff, I employ some barristers, who has a mortgage and it is a conversation we've had to have to make sure that they're going to be covered Mm. because it most, even if they're fixed, are coming up for a review and boy, that's going to be a big jump. Yeah, it's going to be a kick. For many, for many. Many. Across sectors, isn't it? Yeah. 18 past four, the panel RNZ National. Now a stark picture of poor school attendance and the reasons in a report published today by the Education Review Office. Four in ten parents were comfortable with their child missing a week or more of school per term and a third of students did not see going to school every day as that important. The report missing out. Why aren't our children going to school? Said even missing two days of class per term was linked to lower achievement. Now regular attendance is defined as attending more than 90% of the time. Regular attendance in the UK and Ireland, where Alan's from, is above 80%. Australia is 73%. New Zealand, around 60%. With us is Dr. Shreve Taylor-Patel, President of the New Zealand Principals Federation of New Zealand. Dr. Taylor-Patel, kia ora. Kia ora. When is absence justified and when is it not? I guess there are a myriad of reasons, Sheree. Yeah, 
Absolutely. This is a really complex issue and, and the, the report that's come out really highlights that there's a lot of different reasons that students are absent. Some of them are justified and some of them are not. Sometimes it depends on the student and the context. Sometimes yeah. it depends on, I guess, how frequent and regular, um, regularly they're away. You know, I want, I mean, just as a personal anecdote, I can recall, Cherie, growing up, um, you know, early mid-80s, there was just no way I would miss school, not even a day. That's just, hey, ain't going to happen. Last year, I talked to a family who took their kids out of school to go skiing. Um, you know, those few days here, those few days there. Is it something that's happened over decades? I mean, what's the reason? Yeah, I think there has been a, a little bit of a, a blurring of the lines about what is um, a, an authentic or a, um, a reasonable reason for to have your children um, not attend school and what is not. So, for instance, you take the um, the skiing. What a wonderful experience for the students to be able to um, get out on on our mountains to to learn about the outdoors. That's learn, what um, they said to me. Yep. And, and what a great sport. However, the learning that they're missing at school is it's something that can't easily be made up. And it's when they miss sequential learning, things that, that you want to build on from one day to the next to the next to make sure that students have a really good grounding or understanding of key concepts. It's that that is really, um, if you like, mucked up when students are out on the slopes skiing. We would traditionally say, look, that's for the holidays. You do that in the holidays. Right. The dilemma is that the airlines often um, will put up airfares a week before the holidays. So parents are saying, hmm, we want to have a holiday. We want to take our student, our children skiing. But actually it's cheaper to do it one week earlier because then we don't have high airfares. So... You know, it, well, it, that's what it, happened. It's just one example, mm. and there are a myriad of reasons, cultural included, but that was just an example, and it was a couple of weeks, actually, you know, tying in with the airlines, taking the kids out of school. Uh, May, uh, it would not... <laughs> Dad and Mum would never dear. have... When, never. I, when we arrived in New Zealand, my parents sat me down and said, we don't have money and we don't know anybody, we don't speak the language, so if you're going to make it, you're going to have to make it by working hard. It, if... If I'd mm. been born into a wealthier family, maybe I would have thought, oh, goody, let's go skiing. But it would never have occurred to me not to go to school because that was my meal ticket. That was my way to get ahead. And I would never have wanted to be behind. Um, I, I think COVID has disrupted a lot of people. I know kids now that have left school that would never, ever have left school. Really? They just got demotivated, mm. demoralised. Um, I was so impressed with my, my boy. He, he stuck it out, but boy, was he bored. And boy, did he eat a lot of snacks to get him through. Um, but but otherwise, I, I worry a bit because uh, it tells me that education is not the priority that it was. And um, and maybe we need to say to ourselves, uh, is school providing the sort of curriculum content that really means that kids are learning and getting ahead? Okay, well, that's interesting too. Yeah. yeah, Dr. Patel? Patel? Yeah, so I would say that... Um, that schools have a really important role to play and that um, through COVID, what we have seen is um, parents really struggle to support students with learning because they've realised what they don't know as teachers and what, you know, the support that you can give at home is perhaps not all the support that's needed to, to keep 
students achieving. When people are not achieving, of course they're, they're going to be demotivated and demoralised. The other thing that happened, I think, when people were at home and doing the home learning was home became a great place to be. It's easier in lots of ways than, than being at school. The things that do make a difference in school are things like um, friends and um, teachers that have a real interest and connection with children, um, programs that are that where students can see the relevance, right? If they can see a relevance between what is being taught and what they want to do in life, they will be um, motivated to stay stay the course and to do do the work at school. Right. So it feels to me like. Everyone has a little bit of a role to play here okay. in sorting it out. Well, quite a bit of response to this. Uh, Wallace, I worked in a school, and if pupils were taken out of school for holiday or whatever, the teachers were not expected to provide work. Some parents expected it uh, for their holidays. Alan, what, what's your take on this? Uh, I'm actually guilty of, of, of this earlier on before I even got the email of what were the topics. So you're, I text, saying, you're saying, who doesn't wag every now and then? No, well, Is that what you're you saying? Know, I, I did it a lot in school. I'd sweet talk my man, say, I'll help you clean up the house. And then she'd say, stay home from school. And I'd do nothing, right? But uh, but that was it. I was just really? a kid. Yeah, I was just a kid. I'd make her food. let you stay at home. Yeah, she'd let you stay at home. Yeah, yeah I'd make her some dinner her. or something and she'd love it uh, put your feet up open a beer wow. but I uh, this morning before I knew I was coming in to, to talk about this today uh, there was flights to Gold Coast from Auckland for $140 I've got three different emails from three different companies and I text my ex and I said can I take Holly off for a week you know during the school year uh, so I'm guilty of, of looking to do that because See? You're, so, part you, of, you're part of the I'm problem I'm the problem <laughs> not part of the problem I am the problem what Wallace. are you going to learn from this I'll never learn I never have, never will. No, no, but, but what, what I was, what will Holly learn from yeah. the girls? Oh, she will exactly. learn. Uh, she will learn that suntan, it's really fun. Suntan, yeah, suntan mm-hmm. uh, lots of sunblocks. She loves it. She yeah, has I, a good time. Let's go to Expo. Are you, are you hearing this, Sri? This is exactly the problem that we're talking about. Ellen's it, attitude. It certainly is. It certainly is. And you know, sometimes it's justified to do um, to do exactly what Ellen has um, has done. But I would suggest that if they're going overseas for a holiday and they're doing theme parks all day. That's actually not justified. If they're going overseas and they've, they've, there's some really rich learning and, and uh, going into different environments and learning um, firsthand um, what it is in a different cultural environment, etc. That's again, it's a nuanced, um, a nuanced issue because they're doing life learning in authentic places. If are you, are you listening how, to this? If that's, if I'm just that's thinking about the theme parks. Out, right? If that's how it's set up, if it's not set up like that, then, you know, it's just you're taking your child out of school, they're missing potentially some really important learning. And I'd just like to say, students that attend school regularly, that is over 90% of the time, they are most likely to be successful in education. Very so interesting, it, yeah. Yeah. And most importantly, uh, Alan, life learning in authentic settings is not orgies. Uh, listen, right. Thank listen. You, I need to experience thank that. Thank you, mate. Yeah. Learn. Very good. Hey, Dr. Shri Taylor Patel, kia ora. Thank you very much for your time there. Thank you. So kia ora. It's, uh, yeah, certainly very, very interesting. And May, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Alan, there's a few take-home messages for you there. So include not just theme parks, but 
learning institutions if you must take your kid out of uh, school? Are there any learning institutions on yeah. the Gold Coast? Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, your Lambert movies. <laughs> yeah. It's great. You're going to roller coaster. Uh, there's a large response to this. Um, over the years, I've taken my daughter out of school to travel overseas. Couldn't have afforded the travel otherwise. Airfares are too expensive See? during the holidays. So that's what same, you're saying, exactly Alan. Same, yeah. um, Matt says, Nadine, this is such a teacher led response. It's time we restructure the school day and year that fits from modern workforce. This and only then will this change. Teachers talk about the holidays as though all employees as parents and all self-employed parents can fit their working lives around the school term. Gone are those days. So, yeah, very, very interesting. I do appreciate all your feedback. We, we have May Chen and Ellen McRoy on the program this afternoon. Uh, to this uh, interesting story here from the New Zealand Herald, this one, I want a response from our panellists. An Auckland charity store owner took a carload of island uh, items that a fashion label, Moochie, had dumped into a commercial rubbish skip on the roadside. But a staff member comes out and says, look, you can't take the stock. We'll be sorting it out later. So put it back in the skip. The Moochie staff member said they weren't fit for purpose, mismatched shoes and so on. The charity owner disagreed and um, strong words ensued. And I think uh, the items were taken away. Around the panel of this, it got me thinking... If something is placed in a skip, is it fair game for it to be taken out and sold or on donated? What do you reckon, May? I, I was listening to the language of Moochie, and it sounds very legal. Uh, they, IP includes names and images used for commerce, and reputation is intellectual property. So I don't know, maybe they were concerned that somebody would see this product and think, gosh, that's not quite up to the usual quality you'd expect from Moochie and somehow think less of Moochie. But I just think this is a very minimal risk. And if they really were concerned about protecting their IP, why were they throwing it out in an open skip? Yeah. I mean, they should have other... Look, in my office, I have a shredding bin. <laughs> so if I don't want anyone to get access to confidential legal documents, I pay for a service that takes that bin wow. away and shreds it. I do not put it in my normal rubbish. And at home, I put all those documents in my bag. I carry them to work and put them in the blue bin. So all I'm saying is I understand Moochie's concerns, but you need to follow that up, Moochie, by making sure that you have proper uh, disposal of your um, IP-protected yeah. There's two sides to this, isn't there, May and Ellen? Because at one hand, you don't want uh, a brand represented in a way they don't want it to be represented. On the other hand, hey, it's charity. And fashion waste is massive. And who isn't a skip hound? I mean, were you a skip hound? Yes. (laughs) Dunedin, some of my best jerseys came from uh, roadside skips. I remember one day I was going to the law faculty and... I, the skip was open and someone had thrown out a whole bunch of pads. So there I was. I leaned in there. I was grabbing all these pads out of there. And the, the lecturer said to me, oh, hello, May. May Chen, a skip pound. A, a skip pound after my own heart. And I was so embarrassed. Uh, if it's in the bin, it's a free-for-all. You know, if someone needs or wants it and it's in a bin, then give it to but them. But is it? And I don't think a lot of, yeah, I don't think a lot of the, the people that would be getting those moochie shoes really care what moochie is. You know, they just want shoes. You know, I don't think it's about the brand. I think it's just about so having shoes. So you'd be quite happy to drive up in a car, uh, your, your own car, commercial school, and take someone else's rubbish? No, because I have a job. You know what I mean? But <laughs> I'll, buy, I'll buy my own. But if I didn't, well, no, when no, I was but, a student like no. yourself, I would swim well, in a look bin. Look at this, honorary lawyer. But that's the issue, isn't it? I mean, they'd thrown it away. 
Yeah, so so gone. therefore, it, they'd, they'd relinquished ownership of it. No, they right? hadn't because it was, they still had their label on it. Oh, 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 no, but only on the shoes, not on the skirt, you mean? Right, yeah. Yeah, only on the shoes. Okay, uh, very sorry. interesting. Well, this is legal, I'm a horse team. We'll take it down. Uh, uh, <sighs> simple solution, cut the branded labels out. Uh, and uh, Logan says, I used to dumpster dive from New World and Countdown during uni days in a dumpster. It's fair game.